Okay, welcome back, everyone. We're into episode 14 of the PhD podcast. It is September 2nd now, 2020, so we're hitting to, into fall now. We have a special guest with us today, all the way from Australia. He's our first PhD student from down under, uh, Toby Edwards. Toby, thanks for joining us today. I'm joined by Harjeev as well in Las Vegas, so we're in three different time zones. Oh, yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> thanks for having me, guys. So, so Toby's a third-year PhD student at the University of Notre Dame, Australia, and Harjeev and I were chatting with him uh, before we started hitting uh, record here. And Toby has a really interesting background in how he got into uh, force velocity profiling, a sprinting. Toby, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit of your uh, unique background because you spent some time in the states as well and in the Midwest, and just share with the listeners, you know, what you've done previously and how you got to uh, your PhD work now. Yeah, sure. So um, I guess like all of us, I came through undergrad exercise and sports science. I actually came through a, a non-traditional pathway. Um, I came through a uni prep course, so they wouldn't actually accept me until I went through this uni prep course. Um, came out of that, did a one-year honours year, um, got through that. It kind of gave me, I just opened my eyes to the research side of um, like the career where we could go. Um, I really wanted to spend some time and get some experience in, in US college athletics. So I hustled hard and networked um, with a lot of people in Perth to, to see how I could get over there um, and was lucky enough to be put in contact with Josh Bonitol, who was at the time Director of Men's Basketball Sports Performance at Purdue University. Um, so jumped on a plane um, over to America, not knowing, never been there before. I'd never met Josh outside of a just of a Zoom call or, or a FaceTime call. Um, and then ended up just interning there for a year um, with their men's basketball program and, and assisting a few other sports. Whilst I was there, um, obviously uh, kind of become pretty close with a lot of the other coaches and the staff at the within the football department. Um, and after a year of a year of working with men's basketball and Josh, um, I decided to, I wanted some more experience. I wanted to get involved with football, but just at the time, the football staff got laid off. Obviously many, many listeners probably know Purdue football wasn't that great back a couple of years ago. Um, so again, lucky enough, reached out to one of the coaches who ended up with a head gig at Western Michigan. His name was Grant Guybe. Um, if I could spend some time over there working with him for, for a couple months. So spent, I think, uh, from spring ball through to uh, maybe second or third week of the regular season um, up at Western Michigan. So wasn't stuck with, with any of the snow, which, which is great as an Australian. <laughs> um, but from there, I guess, um, kind of the highlight of that fanboy moment, perhaps you could say, was – we played Western Michigan um, for Michigan. No, we played Michigan's. Uh, we played against Michigan at Michigan for their home opener um, in front of about 110,000 people. Um, and as just a small kid from Australia who'd watched it on TV a million times, it was it was quite a uh, thrilling or it was an unreal experience just to be there. Um, and then from there, moved back to Australia and I started my PhD. Um, in, I guess, force velocity profiling through the Australian Football 
uh, talent pathwise. So Toby, so you spent time in American football and, you know, your research obviously is in Australian football league, AFL. So what are like, what were the biggest differences that you noticed right off the bat in terms of like athletes and how, you know, training modalities and things like that? Were there any sort of like obvious differences? Uh, immediately it was just the professionalism of college athletics and particular, um, our men's basketball program at Purdue University, obviously um, a well-renowned basketball school in Indiana. Um, the professionalism and, and just the hype around college athletics. Like I work with kids the same age back in Australia and nobody knows their name. Like they're not in front of TV cameras. They're not doing interviews for news um, reporters or anything. Um, that was immediately what set college athletics and, and America apart from Australia back here. But also um, the athleticism of the athletes is they're so far um, beyond what we would get here with, with most of our guys. And I put that down to the time and, and the access that coaches get to them in high school. I think there's just a culture difference mm. between strength training and um, kind of becoming athletic and putting like a priority on kind of getting in the weight room, becoming faster and becoming stronger than it is over here. But I also think um, if we look at the sports that we play in Australia compared to the sports in America, most of our sports are highly aerobic and endurance based. If you think Australian rules football, if many of you know kind of what that game looks like, um, rugby to an extent, soccer, like, our, the weather over here lets us be outside. Lots of people are into triathlons, running, riding bikes. Like, there's not too many sports over here that, um, like American football and basketball, that are that are so. Um, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Like, it's like fast, just ana, just ana, or uh, yeah, anaerobic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we don't have that. Whereas um, I think all the sports in America, even to an extent, ice hockey. I don't yep. know much about ice hockey, but. Yep. They're all kind of fast-paced, anaerobic um, type sport. So I think that all plays into it also. Yeah, no, that's a great point. That's a really great point, the cultural differences between sport and how that can contribute to how you train an athlete. And, you know, people might not consider that in terms of Australia versus the States versus other parts of the world. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah it's such a huge difference. And people, people watch the sport over there, they – and I was probably a victim. Like I was in the same boat. I didn't realize how athletic some, particularly basketball players, like yep. how tall they are and, and oh, yeah. their ability to move and, and how fast they are and how strong they are. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. It's incredible. Some of these 18, 19 year old kids, when they walk in to a room and they're like 6'10, 240 pounds, they're just like, yeah. I wasn't that big when I was, I'll never be that big. It's, yeah. it's crazy. It's crazy. It really is. And even, even um, whilst I was at Purdue, Carson Edwards was there. Yeah. Carson was um, like my height, like maybe a touch shorter than me at the time. And he was dunking on dudes with his left hand. Like, yeah. I ca- like, I can't even touch the ring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's awesome. So Toby, you sent us a, uh, a couple of really uh, interesting articles on uh, the sort of talent identification uh, pathway in uh, in the AFL. Can you um, can you talk a little bit about those uh, those articles and how they kind of pertain to your own research interests? I know they I know you hit on it a little bit, but would love to hear a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, so I guess I'll start with my research interest. Um, it kind of came from whilst I was in the US under Josh and Grant. They were big proponents of speed development. And I think a lot of coaches over in America are. Um, so that kind of began my interest in speed. And I remember asking them, particularly Josh, I remember saying, if you had one piece of technology to help you train your athletes, what would it be? And he said, timing gates. Um, just for the immediate feedback that you can provide your athletes, like driving intent, it's competitive. Uh, you can't replicate the speed of movement that you get sprinting in the weight room and the, and the amount of ground reaction forces and muscular forces in sprinting. Um, it's hard to replicate in the weight room. So that began my interest in, I guess, speed development and kind of thinking like, how can I bring this back to Australia and use it to develop our athletes, like where are our athletes at? So I guess when I came back, I did a little bit of research to, to see what would be done in, in Australian football. Um, and just at the time, the guys, the, the articles that I sent you by, I think Carl Woods, Sam Robertson and Ashley Cripps to an extent, um, had all done their PhDs in kind of talent identification in Australian football. Um, and a couple of their papers, they kind of concluded that some physical assessments and, and, and anthropometrics of players had very high predictors of AFL draft success of being drafted into the AFL. And, and they were height, 20-metre sprint time and, and a beep test or multi-stage fitness test score. Um, and, and the papers were quite interesting. They had like, um, I'm not sure the statistics they used, um, but they, they kind of concluded and they had, um, if, you could, if you could sprint a 20-metre sprint faster than, or quicker than 2.99 seconds or have a beep test above 14.01 um, and you uh, tested at the AFL draft combine, then you had like a 70% chance of being drafted to the AFL. Um, and then a, another paper that I sent you guys reported kind of 20 metre sprint time was it's a consistent physical assessment um, of talent selection at our state under 16s and state under 18 levels. Um, and also as they moved from the elite under 16 through to elite under 18 programs within the state, speed or sprint time didn't really improve. So we only saw trivial improvements. So I was kind of wondering why that was, whether it's because of the increase in mass, whether because we don't kind of spend too much time on developing speed because there's so many other facets, technical and technical, technical and tactically and physically that we're trying to improve with these athletes. Um, but then around the same time, JB Moran and Pierre Samazino were publishing some research on, on this macroscopic sprint profiling approach. Uh, which allowed us to assess an athlete's force velocity and power profiles um, on the field through uh, through a radar gun, stalker radar gun, through instantaneous velocity. Um, and so now my research looks at this uh, assessment approach um, and kind of exploring these underlying mechanical profiles of junior Australian football players through both the elite talent pathway and our the other kind of participation pathway, we call it. So Toby, so kind of jumping off that point for the, the talent identification, 
Why do you think that the 20 meter is, is such a good predictor of it? If you could like share a little bit more of like the physical demands of AFL for those who aren't like entirely familiar with it. Why is that 20 meter sprint time? Do you think so crucial for talent ID? Um, I think so. I'm not necessarily sure the reason why 20 meter sprint performance is such a high predictor outside the fact that I think it's the ultimate expression of like fight or flight response and also athletic ability. Um, like a 20 meter sprint, uh, even, even to an extent a vertical jump, um, kind of how athletic are you? Cause much like most field based team sports, the kind of physical demands are, are quite hugely aerobic. Like, um, I think most AFL players, if you're playing um, in the midfield, which is kind of a nomad play running around the ground, you're covering 156 kind of metres per minute. So hugely aerobic um, and like repeat efforts um, or repeat power efforts. You might spend – they've actually just reduced um, interchange rotations because teams were getting up to like 120, 130 interchanges um, – during your game, which would mean some players would be on there for four minutes off on the bench for four minutes and kind of just on and off running flat out. Um, but I think the 20 meter sprint and why it's such a high predictor of talent selection and identification um, is just due to the, the athletic nature of it and, and it, the separation between athletic potential and guys that are athletic and less athletic. And that would make sense too, for the beat test too. You mentioned like repeats, you know, power expression. So that, that would make sense as, as to why those two tests specifically would be pretty good predictors for AFL. It's, it's similar to how they do like the NFL combine here too. They do the, you know, the, the 40 yard dash and, you know, you see guys who run like a four, two or a four, two, five or whatever. And those guys typically don't go undrafted. They might not have some of the tactical skill, but you know, teams will take a chance because they have that athleticism where you see these ridiculous broad jumps. So it's, it's interesting how the sports are different in terms of the demands, but everyone's looking for these big, strong and fast athletes. And then I think from there, it kind of goes into your player development, how you can get them up to speed on some of their, their weaknesses. Yeah. But I also think, so the players that get invited to draft combines, et cetera, over here anyway, uh, I'm not sure of the exact number, but you need um, a certain number of AFL clubs to kind of recognise and invite you to be tested. So their scouts and recruiters have obviously watched a lot of film and seen them playing games to identify that they are some of the better players. They would have a lot of a lot better technical and tactical nous than, than the other players. So they then get invited to test um, and then it's from there the recruiters and scouts kind of weigh up their physical attributes against what they see physically or sorry, technically and tactically in their games as to whether they're going to be drafted or not. But in in saying that, I think the, the technical and tactical now of of playing the sport, it would be uh, the higher priority over, over physical attributes, I believe. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. So Toby, kind of another question off of that. This is something that, I had a question for you personally. I think other people would as well. If they had, say you have a new athlete joining a club, whether it's like an AFL American football or just like a basketball or any sort of athletic club. And 
their sprinting abilities, however you want to say it, you just want to look at just pure sprint time. You want to look at force velocity, power profiling, they're subpar. So yeah. f- from your standpoint, what would you emphasize from like a strength and conditioning perspective to improve some of these profiles? Say, say it's like a, you know, a younger athlete. Yeah, okay. So I guess I'll start with a little bit of my environment in the context of where I'm at and where I'm coaching um, in Western Australia at the Excellent. waffle level. So um, I'm at a club called South Manor and we have um, under 14s and under 15s and under 16s and an under 18s program. Um, however, unlike the US, we don't get to spend very much time with them. So all of our sport is around outside of school or most of it, mm-hmm. um, particularly through, I guess, the AFL talent program and talent pathway in Western Australia. So quite often at the under 18 level, which it, which is the top program of our development pathway, I think I might see them for maybe they'll have maybe seven to nine hours of training a week and a game on the weekend max. Um, and then to try and fit kind of our, our gym program into it and then our, improving their kind of technical skills and, and then their knowledge of playing football, it's quite hard. And we're always running a fine line as to how much time do we spend doing X, Y, and Z. Right. Um, but I guess in my role, how I see it is like my job is to try and get as many players in for, from South Fremantle to be selected into the West Australian state um, academy programs. Um, and so how can I do that as their strength coach? Well, I resort back to those, those papers that I was speaking about before um, and let's say the 20-metre sprint time is um, a fairly consistent physical uh, predictor or physical test of athletes that get selected into these programs. So then I think back to, okay, how can I make them faster? But then I also think most of the kids that I get are very, they have a very low training age. So like any kind of strength conditioning program, we need to make sure that everyone's moving properly first and then um, improving relative and absolute strength. Um, I go back again a little bit to, we don't see them as often as we would like to see them. And then even in sort of pre-season phase, quite often we're not training at our home venue or home ground because we have our, our, our league team and or our senior team training at that venue or using the weight room, et cetera. So um, I'm trying to improvise and, and adapt to kind of our resources and what we have and, and think of like, what can I do? So I get a heap of sleds down. I've got a heap of sleds. Um, we have a storage um, facility out there with, with some, with some uh, just some bumper plates, some sleds. And I think that's our biggest bang for buck to try and improve kind of lower body strength um, in our environment. So most of the time I have a pretty good coach um, that gives me um, some time pre-training, during training to try and work on this. So um i do a lot of sled push work at around 50 to 80 percent of body mass um over five through to 15 meters and then we also work on a lot of kind of unloaded acceleration efforts and and mechanics during every warm-up um 
and it's just it's just repetition like we i'll have a squad of 50 to 60 athletes so it's just trying to do the best that i can under under those circumstances and i think a lot of coaches working in youth sports over here in australia are in the same similar situation yeah and then that's a great point i think because i was in a kind of a similar boat to you were a couple of years ago doing some strength and conditioning with adolescents in the mid michigan area is where yeah. you'll have an, like an american football team and you have 30 to 40 athletes and yeah. the warm-up you mentioned the warm-up too like that's when we did a lot of technical kind of skill development because yeah. like you get a large group of athletes doing similar kind of things and it's just what we were doing, you just kind of putting out fires. You're just triaging. You're seeing like yeah. which athletes need the most help and like, okay, I'm going to go work with him for a second. And then I got to go over to somewhere else. So it's just, uh, it's interesting, the similarities, but, uh, that was yeah. some great, some great points, Toby. I did know everything. So another dissimilarity from over there, it's particularly American football is like the military nature of blowing whistles and everyone goes on the whistle <laughs> and, and, <laughs> Up downs uh, yeah. and, and whatnot. Like we don't, you don't, you don't really see that over here quite as often. Um, it's a little bit of a different culture around training, also. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's uh, it's yeah. I understand. I, I understand where you're coming from with the the whistle environment. We're very whistle heavy in the states. It seems like. Oh, yeah. I don't mind it. Time and place. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, Toby. Yeah. I know you. Uh, I know you hit on this a little bit. Um, and obviously in, in, in sports like, you know, football or whatever, uh, you have to deal a lot with fatigue and injury. So can you, uh, can you talk a little bit about um, force velocity profiles and how you kind of use them in return to play assessments? Yeah, sure. So I think outside of um, like training justification um, and training prescription um, for speed development, the use of force velocity profiling within fatigue and return to play settings could be quite useful. We know that um, there's quite a large overlap in the sprint mechanical characteristics um, across individuals, suggesting that they're largely individual and that they could be helpful in us kind of identifying fatigue and return to play settings. Um, but with that, I think and there's, there's, some, there's some research um, or some older research on this on this area but i think first whenever we um if we if we want to use something for a fatigue monitoring approach approach and a return to play settings i think it needs to be noted that um you need to establish the reliability of these variables and the test within your population i don't think we can just take um look up a research article for example and be like okay the reliability of of theoretical maximal force in rugby players is X, I'm now going to apply that to my team. Um, I think if you're a coach and you want to use a variable, any variable doesn't have to be the force velocity profiling. Um, assess that first with with your um, what word I'm looking for with your population or with your athletes, and then even further, if we're going down the return to play and fatigue monitoring approach, you might want to look at individual reliability or individual variation in variables to ensure that if I'm assessing someone return to play is the change a real change in that athlete or is it just kind of a noise in the test so we know just from anecdotally our evidence and um some of the published research that 
theoretical maximal force or the variables associated with kind of early acceleration are quite um, are quite noisy. Um, whether that's due to how we um, kind of smooth the data and, and exponentially apply um, the model to fit, or it's just the variation in the athlete's um, acceleration, and it could be either or because. Our athletes, I believe, over here, particularly in football, aren't very well trained in sprinting, so their variability is going to be quite high. Um, but then, I guess, going back to your question, in regards to fatigue monitoring, the research suggests that um, some horizontal or sprint mechanical properties can be more sensitive um, to changes in uh fatigue rather than kind of vertical mechanical properties so in particular um i can't remember the name of the author um reported that the velocity capacities so theoretical uh, max velocity and 30 meter sprint time was more sensitive than vertical mechanical properties post a rugby sevens training session or intense training session and then repeat sprint um over a series of 10 repeat sprints, we know that 40-meter time and theoretical maximal velocity are more sensitive to change than 5-meter time and theoretical maximal force, which suggests that the fatigue impacts athletes' ability to apply force at higher velocities rather than at lower velocities. Um, and that maintaining a forward-orientated force at high velocities or applying large amounts of force at high velocities is central to identifying fatigue and monitoring. Um, an athlete's load. That makes oh, that's real. So that so that kind of coming yeah. back to your point about training, Toby. So is that why you use a lot of like the sleds then to for like horizontal velocity profiling? Yeah, definitely. I think particularly in the athletes that I coach that are not very well strength trained or don't have a good training history. I think the biggest bang for my buck is getting them stronger um, through heavy sleds, particularly in the environment that I have. And then actually the paper that I've just, I've just published um, suggests that that theoretical maximal force is relatively stable among competition loads. It doesn't change as um, kind of mass increases with with maturation which tells me that they're not getting stronger like they're the increase in muscle mass etc um re relatively they're not getting any stronger they're not getting any faster so how can i improve that and i think improving their ability to apply force at at low velocities then improves um or gives them a higher ceiling to produce more maximal power particularly over a 20 meter effort, which they get assessed upon um, whenever we do any combines. I think targeting their acceleration ability um, will be more beneficial than, than trying to make them their max speed higher. We'll, we'll link uh, Toby's recent article in the, in the show notes if people want to go check it out. Toby, just kind of centraling centralizing more in your PhD research. You touched on it a little bit, some of the work that you've published, but can you share specifically what you're doing for your PhD thesis work right now? Yeah. So I guess um, 
the title of it, I haven't said it on a title. It's, it's just exploring the underlying mechanical properties of, of sprinting through the Australian football participation pathway. So um, firstly, we established uh, the reliability within our population, um, like I mentioned before. So if I want to monitor, if anyone wants to monitor any kind of changes or, or they're doing any repeat measures, we need to be certain if there's, if I'm going to see a change or not or if it's just noise in, in the test. So that was um, that was our first study. Then we moved on to more of a descriptive um, approach. So I've got, I think, I think we ended up testing maybe 170 athletes from um, a range of different competitions from under 14s through to um, under 18s and then those that were drafted and non-drafted, et cetera, to look at, look at their profiles and to see how they, to see how they're changed. Um, and that's when we kind of realized that the theoretical force remains relatively stable. We then looked at um, how maturation might influence our sprint acceleration um, pro- properties and profiles. Um, and, and we kind of, we kind of realized the same thing. Like, so during maturation, um, obviously athletes are gaining mass and they're getting more absolutely strong or their absolute strength is improving. Um, however, relatively and and in a sprint assessment, um, their ability to, to apply that strength and force at low velocities is, um, doesn't improve. And whether that's due to, I guess, adolescent awkwardness, et cetera, also, um, we're unsure. Um, however, kind of what, where we've gone and what we've led with those three studies is that the focus really needs to be, we need to coach these guys, number one, how to sprint. And then number two, we need to get them stronger um, at low velocities. And then the final study, we have a training study. COVID's kind of put that on the back burner, um, <laughs> like most research, I yeah. think, around the world. Um, so hopefully we can kick that off in preseason next year. What can you go into a little of the specifics of the the training study as to what you're uh, planning on doing for that? Well, so we're actually having to go back and and reassess exactly what we're doing. We were originally doing an in season training intervention, sled push training intervention, um, trying to improve trying to improve our our, our sprint ability in season. Um, we actually it, we actually started it and then the season got cancelled. So. Um, it was a real kind of pain in the ass. It was a bummer. Um, but now there's some work that's came out by, um, I think his name is Michael Cahill. Um, he is just, um, I've just read his thesis. I think he's just um, submitted his thesis also on low velocity profiling in youth athletes in America. Um, he's done a lot of, um, so what he did was low velocity sled push and sled pull with the athletes, um, low velocity profiled, and then ran some training interventions. I hope I'm not butchering this. Um, ran some training interventions at 80% um, velocity decrement, a decrease from their from their unloaded free sprint um, to try and improve their their force velocity power profile. And it seemed quite um, it seemed quite beneficial and he got some good results out of it for improving their 20 meter sprint performance. So whether we, we take some of what Michael's done um, in his research and apply it to where we're at um, 
we're still in discussions. Interesting. Interesting. It's uh, Toby talks about a lot of the like profiling. It seems like from like just my understanding, because I've never really gotten nitty gritty into, into sprinting. Like I just, I look at it from like social media and stuff and all the coaches say how important sprinting is like sprinting. So important. It's a a mechanism of general athleticism. We need to sprint, sprint, sprint. But like when you talk to somebody who's actually in it, it seems like it's quite complicated. Like how to actually train an athlete to be a high level sprinter. Yeah, definitely. And I think where I'm at in team sport is just kind of scratching the surface. I think some of those guys, um, Stu McMillan's, etc. Dan Fast, like their guys, them guys' brains are they're unbelievable, and how they can break down uh, sprinting technique and how they can train those high level sprinters is is phenomenal. And like, I read a lot of their stuff all the time. And with my guys and where I'm at, I'm trying to just it's it's the low hanging fruit, like right. Number one, to make you faster, I probably need to get you a little bit stronger. And I over a twenty meter sprint, I feel like if I can just correct your start we always do we run we go on a two-point start so we don't have that that third um mm-hmm. hand down so we go on a two-point start most of the guys that i get are starting with um a vertical shin angle and kind of wrong hand placement setups right. like the hips are really high so i just try and fix that up a little bit um and you can see that improve you can just notice that improvement um, yeah. by observing them i believe um, and then on top of getting them a little bit stronger and fixing them up a little bit, I think, I think we can make some really good improvements. Like, like you would think if, if an athlete isn't very well kind of versed in number one, strength training and number two, sprinting. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot different when you're working one-on-one with an athlete or just like a few athletes compared to a whole team. Like I've been in that environment with youth and it's like, even from just like a strength and conditioning perspective, just looking at form and stuff, it's, it's difficult. If you're the only strength coach in a room and you have a full team or you're one of two strength coaches in a room, it's really just about identifying who's, you know, you need to triage, who needs to be, you know, taken care of first. Hopefully you get that. It's just, And then as you mentioned, Toby, like you only get to see them for a certain amount of time each week, probably less than we'd like to. But uh, having people like yourself in those environments is is so crucial because at least they're getting good information and hopefully we're improving their their physical and you know tactical um, characteristics. So Toby, just as a kind of an ending thing, something that we like to we like to wrap up the episode with with every student that we have is what's like a practical one kind of practical takeaway that you know a coach or a, a practitioner can can kind of take away from your experiences so far? Cause you've had a pretty unique background. So if you wouldn't mind sharing that. Um, I guess it, de- it depends on like what level of person I'm speaking to. I, I speak to a lot of, I get a lot of questions and queries from the students that I teach back here after I explain kind of my experiences and how I got to the U S they're asking like, like how could I get over? Um, can you put me in contact with someone X, Y, and Z? And it's kind of explained to them like, it's, it's, I kind of got lucky on a scholarship that I could spend time over there um, and then explain to them what I've done. Um, and like, like, yeah, I can help you, um, but you need to have X, Y, and Z in place. Um, and then if I'm speaking to um, coaches that are working in kind of a similar area to me with, you know, not many resources, not much face-to-face time with athletes, I think 
low hanging fruit, um, answer the question like, what is your what is your role? I think my role as a strength coach is to kind of get our athletes physically prepared to play the game, but then also trying to help them achieve their kind of dream of, of playing AFL football. Um, and then kind of being that academic or researcher, I look to the literature. If it says you need to be fast, how can I make you faster? Um, and then it's looking at low-hanging fruit. Okay, we need to get stronger. I probably need to fix your, your, your start up a little bit and, and throughout your acceleration phase. So I'm going to try and hit that all the time. Um, in the warm up or as much as I can, um, yeah. And yeah. that's not the and that's not to ignore the other the other qualities we need to try to train and hit. But I think um, that's where I would start. Yeah, I mean, Toby, we we talked about this term that gets floated around a bit, like a pracademic. So you have yeah. you know, an individual who like Toby, who's in that training environment all the time, but then also has that academic background to be able to look into the literature, critically analyze it, and then how they can implement it into, you know, his practice with his athletes. Because, you know, Toby mentions he references a lot of articles, but then at the end of the day, he, you know, he mentions, okay, now how can I apply this with my U14s, my U15s, U16s, or whatnot. So I think, you know, having individuals like Toby is, is crucial for, you know, especially for adolescents. They're so malleable at that age. If we can give them good practices, you know, even from like a mental skills standpoint, a physical preparation standpoint, we can get them to be, you know, these high level athletes and drafted and things like that. Yeah, definitely. And I think in the end of like, the thing that brings me back all the time is like these guys are, are still just kids too. Um, I like to bring the human element to it. Um, you know, have fun with them, make it competitive, like, yeah, we're all trying to win and we're trying to get better, but kind of let's be let's be people first and um, I'll do my best to help you if you can give me your best every time that I'm here coaching you. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, it's always – it's it's sport, right? It's supposed to be fun for these kids. They're supposed to get enjoyment out of it. Toby, we really appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with us. We know it's pretty getting pretty late over, over on your side. Uh, Thanks again for joining us and, you know, stay safe and keep us up to date on your research. Hopefully, you know, as we start transitioning back to some level of, you know, normal with, with our research that uh, you can get that intervention study done and keep us updated because I think a lot of people who are involved in, you know, not just, you know, American football, but any, any sort of sport with, with sprinting and its, and its qualities, I think a lot of people will be interested in uh, your research. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me, guys. Toby, if, if people wanted to reach out to you, what are some best ways to get a hold of you? Like through social media, anything like that that you want to share? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I, I do have a Twitter. I'm probably not as active on it as I should be. Um, I think it's underscore Toby Edwards underscore. Uh, and then you could always email me. My email is tobyedwards5 at gmail.com. Perfect. Thanks cool. again, Toby. Stay safe and uh, keep us updated on it. No worries. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thanks,